This is the Writer Who Reads podcast coming to you direct from New Orleans, Louisiana. So this is the Writer Who Reads podcast, but we don't talk about us being writers as much as we should. Well, I'd rather not. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I was t- I was convincing you earlier that one day we're gonna like share our our work on the microphone. Uh, maybe one day. Oh, you will, or I'm gonna share it for you. Oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have a little announcement today. Um, I recently received word that a story that I submitted to Deep South Magazine mm-hmm. has kind of won their race in place yes. competition. And I want to say, when I was typing up the email that told her that she won, um, it meant a lot to me. Chopper's <laughs> like, I made up everything. I'm kidding. It's okay. It's okay. She called me and told me. And I was really excited. <laughs> I can't, like, I can't wait. This isn't the first thing that I've had published, but it is the first award that I've won. I won first place. So, this story is very good. It's very short. And I want you all to go read it. Because we call ourselves writers, Mm -hmm. but I mean, we got to prove it. So y'all should go read it. I'm going to put the link to the story in the show notes. And yeah, that's, that's about all I have for our little announcement. This episode that's coming up is going to be very entertaining and fresh. So stay tuned and go read my story, please. Tell me what you think. See if I should read it. (laughs) (laughs) You'll, You'll read it. Don't worry. You support me, right? I do. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> that's that. Hello. Hi. This is Kate Austin, the writer who doesn't read enough. And this is Trapper Kitchen, the writer who doesn't write enough. And this is a special episode. And it's the sixth episode, too. <laughs> no, it is? Yeah. Wow, we just have so many episodes that I just can't keep track. Man, we've got half a dozen. I know. She quit our job. <laughs> This is a very special episode because... It's Black History Month. And I want to point this out really quickly because it's affected me sometimes in my creative work. um, Or once in my creative work. But Black History Month is a little bit of a controversial subject for some people. Because we don't want to confine history into one month. But I think it's important to have this time period where we can like recognize black achievements of black history. Of course, black history is an integral part of American history. Mm-hmm. But it is really awesome to have a month that highlights mm-hmm. the, the important contributions that African Americans have made yes. to the national to national history, to what it means to be an American. Yeah. And, and recognize that it's not always taught as much as it not. should be. It really isn't. We know, I think, just the basics, you know, we know we're taught about slavery mm-hmm. and that's not it touched on extensively. Yeah. And we're taught about the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And even then, we really only learn about the really big figures. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King. Exactly. When so many people contributed. Sometimes when you're talking about what you learn in school in terms of African American history, you feel like it stops after 1965. Yeah. I know that's oh, silly. That's true. Yeah. But I'm like, you, they don't teach you about what's going on in the 80s or not it's almost like huh and then after the civil rights bill passed mm-hmm. everything was fine everything was fine and, and i think recently we're kind of discovering that not discovering black people knew all along but you know it's, it's coming to the up. surface mm-hmm. again and it's like oh everything isn't fine we still have a lot of work to do and it's important to have these discussions oh yes and i i love how this we of course we we're going to do a black history month special for our theme for our next two episodes but our podcast strives to look at artists 
and writers mostly who aren't very well known. Right. So of course we're going to talk about black writers who aren't very well known. Right, because yeah. the the black writers, black American writers mm-hmm. who are well known are very well known mm-hmm. and everybody else is obscure. Mm-hmm. That tends to be the way things go. I mean, when you think about black authors, when I think about black authors, I think about Toni Morrison, I think of James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Even what we've done so far, Angelina Weld Grimke, mm-hmm. Alice Dunbar Nelson. These are people that aren't talked about much, yeah. but they they have made were, important contributions. Yeah. They were published and very respected. Right. And I'm, hear about them. I am especially interested to hear who you picked. Mm-hmm. You said her name. I've never heard of her. Mm-hmm. Me so either. So I'm very interested. But you know what the crazy thing is? I was doing research and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this woman. That's like the clear marker that this is someone that we could probably you know do a podcast episode on and then i saw that last year the new yorker had done this like whole profile and like it was literally titled something like why haven't we talked more about jesse redmond fawcett and i was just like maybe i shouldn't do an episode but i was like you know what this article came out and i didn't read it and so here's just another podcast or something dedicated to jesse redmond fawcett because she deserves it so to kick this off we have two episodes Mine and yours. Yep. I'm going to go first this time. Ooh. And I'm going to start with a little bit of history about Jesse Redmond Fawcett. Okay, so are you ready to hear about Jesse Redmond Fawcett's life? No. Yes, I am. I'm kidding. <laughs> You're cute. I'm seriously on pins and needles about this. You know, I'm very excited because this is the first author who I can confidently pronounce her name. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Literally. You and it's probably like the one that I got wrong. Like someone's oh, probably sure. like, it's probably Jesse Reedman Fawcett. Well. Well, if it is, leave me alone. <laughs> I don't care. I do care, but just don't tell me. <laughs> you do have that special proclivity for choosing complicated names. So yeah. well done for choosing yeah. somebody named Jesse. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> so I'll tell you some things about her. Uh, Jesse Redmond Fawcett was born on April 27, 1882, in Fredericksville, New Jersey. She was the seventh child of Presbyterian minister Redmond Fawcett and Annie Seaman Fawcett. Annie Fawcett died when Jesse was young. Her father eventually remarried and moved the family to Philadelphia. Fawcett had an impressive academic career, starting when she graduated from the Philadelphia High School for Girls in 1900, where she was the only African American in her graduating class. She then received a scholarship at Cornell University in New York. In 1905, she became the first black woman accepted into the university chapter of Phi Beta Kappa, which is a prestigious academic honor society. So by 19, this was the second time she made history. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and to make that at Cornell is, no, nothing to sneeze at. Mm, Yes, and to have a scholarship there too, it's crazy. So, in 1909, Fawcett graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Classical Languages from Cornell University. Two decades later, she received a Master of Arts degree in French at the University of Pennsylvania. After graduating from Cornell, Fawcett moved to Baltimore, Maryland to teach, then relocated to Washington, D.C. to teach Latin and French at Dunbar High School. So, I want to stop here. Dunbar High School. Because this is, I, I like teased you with this earlier. I was like, guess what I found out? This is the craziest thing. So... I'm too excited about this. Jesse Redmond Fawcett taught at Dunbar High School. Okay. Which is named, you know, after Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Mm -hmm. Alice Moore Dunbar Nelson's first husband. Right. 
Okay, we just covered Alice Dunbar Nelson in episode five. This is episode six. Man. So that's a weird coincidence. Still, the school was previously called M Street High School. And when I read that, I was like, that sounds familiar. What is it? M Street High School is where Angelina Wellgrimke taught. So there's this like three episode link between all of these people and it's delicious and I love it. This is becoming a smidge spooky because every time one of us, it's always like, wait, they share the same birth year? Wait, they all taught at the same high school? Wait, uh-huh. this, is, this is unplanned. So it's weird that it's happening. But I have to tell you, uh-huh. to me, this is symbolic mm-hmm. that we're on the right track. We're on the right track because our goal for this podcast is to educate ourselves yeah. and to like learn more about people that we never heard of. And I'm always confused about how those academics can be like, you know, someone makes a reference and they tie it into another reference. Yeah. And I'm just like, how do you know that? Why is that in your head? Well and done. I'm remembering M Street High Schools where Angelina Waldgrimke taught. So I was just like, wow, we're academics. I'm so impressed. Well done for the connecting the dots. No, we're but like this podcast. Keep listening, y'all, and you'll be able to do this too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, back to the biography. So in 1919, Fawcett resigned and relocated to New York City, where she worked as the literary editor for the Crisis, the NAACP's journal, which was co-founded, uh, were co-founded by W. E. B. Du Bois, and she had met him in Washington D.C. when she lived there. Now, this is where much of her legacy began and how she became known as the midwife of the Harlem Renaissance, which isn't as low-key sexist as it may sound. In his 1940 autobiography, Langston Hughes wrote, Jesse Fawcett at the crisis, Charles Johnson at the opportunity, and Alan Locke and Washington were the three people who midwifed the so-called new Negro literature into being. Kind and critical, but not too critical for the young. They nursed us along until our books were born. She helped give new young black voices a chance and a platform, but she not only helped usher in the Harlem Renaissance, she was also a writer. Fawcett was a highly published poet, novelist, and essayist who wrote about black issues of the day. In 1926, Fawcett left the crisis and returned to teaching. She married an insurance broker, Hubert Harris, in 1929 at the age of 47. In 1944, Fawcett retired from teaching. Her husband died in 1958, and on April 30, 1961, Jesse Redmond Fawcett died in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at the age of 79. Wow. Yep. So she never married until she... She was 47. Wed at 47. Yeah. In a lot of her poetry, I don't want to say all of it, but what I read was kind of romantic. Okay. And it, like, it talked about romantic relationships, so I, I was interested in what she possibly could have experienced because you know i didn't find much on other relationships that she may have been involved in but there was speculation that she might have had an affair with w.e.b du bois okay so potentially that had something to do with her relocation from washington to new york Uh, i don't know because he did ask her to serve as the literary editor at the crisis wow yeah exactly so, I don't know. It, w- it was a little bit of speculation. I did read about it in The New Yorker, and that's a pretty trusted source. Right. Uh, and there were letters, and there's actually one um, that just kind of intimated, if not that they were like in a romantic relationship, that they were very close to one another, okay. and, th- and that they could speak to one another frankly. She had received a letter, they mentioned in The New Yorker article, about how she'd received the letter from Du Bois, and she read it, and she put it under a pillow, and she like thought about it, let it run through her mind. And then when she answered, she said, when you want to be, you can be so unspeakably kind and nice. And evidently you wanted to be this time. 
So it oh, seems wow. like they had kind of like a tumultuous relationship going on. And she died in 1961, mm-hmm. so in the thick of the civil, civil rights. rights. Mm-hmm. But she never got to see the culmination of that those efforts. Yeah, exactly. It's always tough to hear when, yeah. you, when somebody dies on the cusp of something. But she did so much work. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there was so much progress between, you know, when she was born and that time. It was probably still very fulfilling. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, not only did she help bring the Harlem Renaissance into being, mm-hmm. in so doing, she helped, you know, catapult the civil rights movement. Yeah. By giving black artists voices, or helping them have voices. Yeah, exactly. And like giving these people a chance. Like if Langston Hughes didn't have a platform, just imagine. Oh my goodness. I cannot imagine. Yeah. If like, if these white publications didn't want to publish things about black issues and they didn't have yeah. black platforms like The Crisis and mm-hmm. other journals, it's like, where would they have gone? Exactly. So yeah, this so was huge. Her work was huge. It's amazing that she was such an integral figure in both the Harlem Renaissance and the beginnings of the Civil Rights Movement, and I have not heard of her. You know, I think it's great that the New Yorker did a write-up on her, but the average person doesn't know. No. Oh, yeah, you expect, I don't know, you expect this to be kind of taught in the classroom. You do expect that. Yeah. At least to be touched on. Yeah, briefly. And be like, oh, maybe I heard about her, but this time I was like, nope, never heard of her. Right, not at all. Yeah. So it's good. I'm glad you chose her because I get to feel a little edified. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm excited to read her work because I have a lot to say about it. I think you'll be surprised um, about the content of her poetry. I'm going to do the poetry today rather than an essay or anything. One of us always has to do poetry, and it's always... It's like diving into a pool of banana pudding and not being able to see the other side, but knowing you've got to touch the wall, and you can't go up right That's what it's like for me when we discuss it. I'm flashing back to the Limburger cheese. Well... (laughs) And I'm just horrified. To me, food is the greatest allegory for not only life, but the experience of savoring And I love you anyway. Let's get into the poetry. Touche by Jesse Redmond Fawcett. Dear, when we sit in that high placid room, loving and doving as all lovers do, laughing and leaning so close in the gloom, what is the change that creeps sharp over you, just as you raise your fine hand to my hair, bringing that glance of mixed wonder and rue? Black hair, you murmur, so lustrous and rare, beautiful too like a raven's smooth wing, surely no gold locks were ever more fair. Why do you say every night that same thing, turning your mind to some old constant theme, half meditating and half murmuring? Tell me, that girl of your young manhood's dream, her you loved first in that dim long ago, had she blue eyes, did her hair goldly gleam? Does she come back to you softly and slow, stepping wraith-wise from the depths of the past, quickened and fired by the warmth of our glow? There, I've divined it, my wit holds you fast, Nay, no excuses. Tis little I care. I knew a lad in my own girlhood's past. Blue eyes he had and such waving gold hair. I like that. I actually do. Mm-hmm. I was not anticipating enjoying another piece of poetry, but I did like that. <laughs> I think in every episode you're just kind of like, wow, just I don't get poetry, but we're going to go for it. That's the way I feel. And after... You know, stepping into Natalie Clifford Barney's... And you did that willingly on your own. I sure did. Yeah. Yeah, I sure did. And I think it was... 
a great step for me. There, I, you're like saying these great things, but like there's a little bit of panic still lingering. There in your is, eyes. there is. But I'm a little. Each time we do this, I'm more confident. Mm-hmm. And as you were reading, I'll, many things were streaming through my mind, and I think that I'm interested to get into a discussion with a you on part. this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> tell me, what's the first thing that popped into your mind? We're talking. This is a Black History Month episode, mm-hmm. and what was pulsating through my mind from start to finish in this poem was race. Yes, and I think that surely she meant for that to be a factor in this, okay. talking about hair colors and rarity and yeah, things exactly. like that. So, when you first read it, mm-hmm. what was the first thing that popped into your brain? Well, obviously, just let's put it all out there because we need to establish the the most basic things about this. Yeah. Okay. So we know that she. And we assume that this is her speaking from her own perspective. Mm -hmm. So a black American woman Mm -hmm. um, speaking to a lover of some type. Mm -hmm. It gets a little confusing, though. And we talked about this briefly off podcast. We did. Even though you just heard this for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know if the lover is white or black. And after hearing the poem Mm -hmm. read through Mm -hmm. fully for a second time, I'm really inclined to think he's white. Really? Why else... Would he be mesmerized by her hair? If he was like, a black man. Exactly. Yeah, like he would have probably mothers, aunts, sisters, grandmas. He he would not be so mysti- mystified. Mis- right. It's not that he wouldn't think, oh, this hair is beautiful. Beautiful, but yeah. surely it wouldn't be like, you know, seeing something for the first time up close. Yeah, and maybe she would be less inclined to be like, why are you marveling at my hair every right. night? Why are you like caressing it and petting? Nobody's caressing my hair, first of all, black, white, or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Like, I, if I was with a white person, I would be a little bit on guard about certain things. I don't want to, like, I wouldn't want someone to exoticize me. How would you feel if you were with a white lover mm-hmm. and they were mesmerized by your hair and verbalizing that? and being tactile about that's it. not the issue i think the issue which comes in this poem is the frequency of that okay that like obsession with right. her hair black hair you remember so luscious and rare and then the next line she says why do you say every night the same thing okay you know what i mean so it really is a fetish yeah it, it seems like he's fetishizing her which i this is a risk so how would like if you were in her shoes how would that make you feel like a piece of something that they wanted you know every night you should talk to me about me not stare at my hair you know and i I think as human beings Mm -hmm. we don't like when someone gets hung up on one aspect of us yeah that's right we can't stand being single dimension like having a single dimension in somebody's eyes yeah so aside from it being just her hair, she's got to be thinking, look, do you find me pretty in other any other capacity or interesting yeah. in any other capacity? Exactly. Otherwise, let's move on, buddy, because yeah. I don't have time for this. And we have to talk about <laughs> just like black hair in the public sphere and like yeah. what it is. It's this beautiful thing that can be shaped and styled in any way. And there's this history of, of black people being like, stop touching my hair, stranger in public. Who do you think you are? Like there's this song from Solange, don't touch my hair and I just sang on the podcast for the first time <laughs> and I'm gonna regret it but you know like it's okay. it's it blows my mind almost but I'm not surprised at the same time that she wrote this poem in oh, the 1900s I don't know the exact year that it was published and like people are still making music about it today and talking about it today oh absolutely I mean if we're talking about it I have to say it's 
it's something that's in my that I am consciously aware of. Mm-hmm. Black women's hair and it's the relationship black women have with their hair. Mm-hmm. Because it is discussed, there've been documentaries made about it. Black yes. women talk about it, not mm-hmm. and Honestly, when I was a child, it wasn't a discussion anybody ever had. Of course, I wasn't around black women or anything. When you were a child, you were in a very white... (laughs) But what I mean is, what I know about it has come from media, like from the media anyway. Ah, yeah. And that hasn't come about until until recently. So, I think when you were reading it, one of the things that her lover says, if I'm not mistaken, he says something about it's it's soft. Like hair, you murmur, so lustrous and rare. Okay. And then he says, beautiful too, like a raven's smooth wing. Smooth wing. Surely no gold locks were ever more fair. Okay. So yeah, there is a smoothness. But that the, the word that stuck out to me even more this time is rare. rare. So this is, a, this is a white man who has not been around that's exactly black right. people. That's yeah. exactly That's why I kept thinking this has got to be a white lover. Mm-hmm. And then think about it this way too. This hasn't changed either, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It's being compared to... A standard beauty. Well, I was like, ah. Well, what I mean is, he's saying, I'm amazed at how pretty this is compared to blonde And she's just like, I'm not amazed. I've always known it was beautiful. Right. Like, this is your issue. Don't bring it to our relationship. Don't bring it to my bed. And also, I love the end where she was like, I knew a lot in my own girlhood's past. Blue eyes he had and such waving gold hair. Mm-hmm. I, I knew about the mysteries of, of sure. white hair. And I'm, I'm not caressing your head every night. So right. just get over it. You know, it's, it's one... I imagine it would be one thing mm-hmm. if somebody was hung up on your hair, your hair, your hair. Yeah. But that's not all. Mm-hmm. Every night he's not just saying what pretty hair you have. But he's saying it's so much prettier than white hair. Oh, I'm convincing myself that I am good to be here with you. It's okay that I'm not with a white Mm -hmm. woman. This is all right. Like almost like talking himself into this Mm -hmm. relationship nightly. How tiring that must be for her to hear. You know, and that speaks to another underlying feeling that the poem, that speaks to another underlying theme that kind of pushes out through the poem. She talks about being lovey-dovey, like lovers do, but the poem doesn't get explicit, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, like, drops many clues about lovemaking or yeah, sex or anything like true. that. It seems that it's relatively innocent what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Maybe some petting. Yeah. Closeness. So, I don't know. I wonder about when she said... She's searching for depth in this relationship. Uh-huh. Let's talk about more than just this. Maybe she's searching for physical depth then this partner's not willing to reciprocate hmm. because he's psyching himself up I don't understand the fullness of that but it's something that popped into my brain when we were talking yeah I see I didn't even think about that because just this nightly experience that she's having mm-hmm. with this person there seems like there's a level of intimacy there that is that has to be sexual in nature you think so you know? <laughs> yeah I don't, maybe I'm just like why would someone be in my house every night? <laughs> they well, were yeah. There for a reason. From a modern perspective, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Baby. the the way she responds at the end with mm-hmm. saying it's almost like she's saying, I've had somebody before. Yeah. Or I've been with somebody before. I'm really getting lost in this. Yeah. I have to scratch this out because yeah. um, no, I want to keep it. I want to keep our confusion about it because it's it's honest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In terms, I mean, there's some rhyme there in terms of just structure. Yeah, I feel like every time we do a poet, we're like, we talk about rhyming. 
and I'm I'm getting tired of it. Like I, I was trying, I was desperately trying to find a poem of hers that didn't rhyme, and she really likes to do that. It's not your classic rhyme scheme. So it was kind of refreshing, but still, uh, I, I was really trying to move away from um, the rhyming at all. But she really enjoys to do that in her poetry. Well, and rhyme has impact in something like this. It does. Meaning, you know, I just feel as I may be speaking for myself as an individual and not as for the human race. Although I think that maybe as people, uh-huh. rhymes give us goosebumps if used effectively mm-hmm. in a way that like a free verse poem doesn't because there's something mythical about a rhyme Mm -hmm. heavy yeah something really magical about it so with something like this with the rhyme it's like mm, pounding a nail into something yeah i think about this in my free time and i just realized it but like the you can tell that someone might have spent more time on a poem if they if they worked on a really complex rhyme scheme and i think that that gives a poem a certain a certain i don't know like level of excellence like and it just improves the quality of it because you know that someone invested time in it like a really pretty painting or piece of needlework exactly you're just like right. wow i i even if it's not my style i mm-hmm. appreciate the work that went into yeah, that I, I hear that i can yeah. understand that and at the same time this rolls into this perfectly i want to talk about the elevated flowery language mm-hmm. because her poetry and I was very surprised by this. Like many of the other Harlem Renaissance poets, it, they wrote in a romanticist tradition with like Victorian style language and ideals. Okay. So I was wondering if you picked up on the like Gentile tradition that seems to be like weaved into her work. Yeah, well, the minute that she referenced a raven, <laughs> swing. Yeah. That's very Wordsworthian to me. Yeah. Very. Not just Victorian, but like British Victorian. When you said romanticist, that's exactly what it feels like. When you talk about golden hair, uh-huh. there's certain things, even even though that one associates with romantic uh-huh. poetry, with romantic writing, yeah. whether or not that image is actually romantic or not. Yeah. Because it's been put in our minds. It almost seems cliche in a lot of ways. Golden hair is one of them. Yeah, and it's like light and airy, and you know the poetry mm-hmm. is lyric, and and that's what's here. And I was just like, why? Why is this Harlem Renaissance writer writing this way? And I, because I haven't dove into the Harlem Renaissance much and I was expecting something that was just more loud and not in your face but you know you're living in a time where there's so much upheaval and there's so many injustices going on that you just expect poetry to be just more aggressive in a lot of ways I mean (laughs) I'm more aggressive in my poetry today so I did more research into it and I kind of started understanding why she used this language she used it as a device rather than like falling back into something that was easy and traditional okay and i think this is my theory only but i think that she was trying to almost prove that through her use of like light airy language she was trying to say hey look i'm a black woman i am strong historically i've been through like my people have been through a lot of crap um but i can be soft and delicate and love centric and i can write about love poetry and i can still be an activist at the same time so so you what you're saying is she was putting forth a concerted effort not to be hard Mm -hmm. and rough 
Yeah. Because a lot of what she did, she tried, she wanted her writing, not only, of course she was writing for black people, but she wanted white people to read her work. And she wanted them to understand black people in America. Okay. As a better way to have this, like, exchange of experience and information. Because, I mean, black people grew up reading probably tons of white authors. Right, exactly. You know, that I have um, in, in this time period. So I'm sure they did back then. So it's just like she wanted everyone to understand everyone better. And that would be a great way for things to just get better. So she's using that writing style as a medium through which to communicate the humanity mm-hmm. of not just herself, but black people in general. Yeah, exactly. And Make it palatable age, in a way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Make it <clears throat> universal in a lot of ways too, but still express who she is and the things that her and her people are going through. Wow. Yeah. So she's being subversive in a way. Mm-hmm. She's going underneath to get her point across. Exactly. Oh. And it's a lot of... It, it reminded me of what Zikala Shah was doing. That's exactly what Zikala Shah was doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I stopped. I, you have to look at things sometimes, and I'm learning yeah. that, especially right now. It's like, oh, she's not just like falling back into the traditional style because she knows it works. She's using it to her benefit. Yeah, it's easy to say, oh, they're just doing the simplest form of, of this writing style, or they're... They're wanting to prove that they're educated by yes. going back into the... But oh in, but I think your point of view is way more interesting and way more in touch with what's going on during the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. They're, writing, they're creating art for and by black people. Yes. But they're trying to create art yeah. that means something and uh-huh. that can have an impact yeah. beyond just their own community. Exactly. They're trying to empower from within and educate without. And that's why the whole movement is so respected <clears throat> yes. today. I mean, I learned about the Harlem Renaissance in school and right. I remember it, which is huge. I just don't... Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave me County Cullen and Langston Hughes and no one else. You oh, know? Right. <laughs> so now it's time <laughs> exactly. to like, do my own... <sighs> anyway... It's up to, you know, this, we talk about this every time, every episode, but it's the reason we do this. Mm-hmm. We take what we've been taught mm-hmm. and we throw ourselves into it mm-hmm. and go as deep as we can because no matter what, no matter what subject we're talking about, yeah. we focus a lot on people who don't have the spotlight on them or mm-hmm. um, cultures and, and groups that aren't often discussed. Yeah. But everything, we only ever learn stuff on the surface level, I think. Oh, there's so much more. <laughs> and yeah. I feel bad about it. I'm like, ah, oh, there's so much more research that I see and I just don't go into because like, we don't have time or space in this podcast. I want to talk about something, too, that uh-huh. just came to my mind. Uh-huh. The relationship between black women and sexuality mm-hmm. and how this romantic poem is pushing against a couple of things. Really? So one thing that I'm calling this common knowledge, it may not be, but historically black women are seen, have been depicted as oversexed mm-hmm. in comparison to white women. Mm-hmm. And there's always been a heavy pushback by black women against yes. that stereotype uh-huh. to say, I am not a sex object, I'm a human being. I want to briefly touch on where that started <laughs> Oh, on ahead. the plantation. Mm-hmm. We both agree. I just wanted to add that in there. Exactly. Okay. Where you have a slave owner yeah, exactly. forcing a, a black woman to have sex with them exactly and white women probably the wife or mm-hmm. daughter of the slave over an owner seeing it and having ill will most likely towards that person there's yeah there's a there's a very disgusting and entangled history related to that yeah and i think it's important to look at those roots when we're is. talking about things it, it, it it's terribly important and so when you read something like this you know you mentioned that this 
poem is kind of geared towards a white readership too to help enlighten them. Mm-hmm. What she's saying is, I'm a multi-leveled person. Mm. I want to be lovey-dovey. I don't want to just lay down. And she's, <laughs> I don't know any other word to say, but she's trying to say, I'm not something that goes into heat. Uh-huh. Yes. I have, I have a mind, a body, and a spirit that yeah. are interconnected. Yeah. And each of these things need to be fed. Yeah. It's, and you saying, I am not something is like the best the best way to summarize this entire right. poem. I am not a thing. Right. If you can't get over this thing, you can leave. That's because exactly. I've gotten over that thing right. with someone else. And it's cool too because she's trying, in, in the poem, she's trying to elevate this relationship or she's wanting this relationship to elevate beyond corporal, uh-huh. the corporal. He wants to pet her hair. He wants to talk about that. And I don't think what she, I don't think she's saying don't touch me. Yeah. Don't pet my hair. I think she's saying, can we can we make this well rounded? Yeah. I want to be satisfied fully. Honey, I just thought of something. Go. Think about this as a metaphor, not because Ooh. she had this relationship with this white man. Okay. <gasps> that a social she, metaphor. Yeah, that she oh. has had this exposure to white culture all her <clears throat> life, and she still exists as a black woman, wow. perfectly fine. Like she's fine with it. And this white man is just getting his toe into black culture and he can't get over the surface value of it. He can't listen to their thoughts and and <laughs> understand their characteristics. Man, you've taken this to a place that I'm so proud of because it didn't cross my mind. And when you said it, I'm like, that's what she's doing that here. That is. Because, you know, um, in a way... In a way, it almost, now that you're talking <laughs> about so it. We're so excited. It's like this person who's petting on her and saying, oh, this is lovelier. It's this, man. You're cute. You can write poetry. Oh, it's almost overvaluing it to make up for something. Mm. Kind of this concept of, I'm taking this into a different, this is a comparison, not like a direct. Like into a modern day, I can feel well, it. Well, yeah. right. What I was going to say is this idea of like the noble savage where mm. it's kind of like, because you're not white you're automatically good and and totally wonderful oh you've been that some people that uh, it's been a historical trend in a way she's like you know what it's hair you know in the in the poem but in a way she's like uh in a way it it's just like human culture it's a different kind than you're used to yeah and it's not all good but there's a great deal to it and let's go beyond the surface that you're kind of interested in Oh, you all can write pretty, and mm-hmm. you all have thoughts, and can be, edu- you know, and, and can have intellectual conversations. Yeah, yeah, we're human beings. Now let's talk about what we're getting to. The exactly. point of what all this is about. Yeah, beyond the surface level. Wow, this is great. I, <laughs> I can't believe that, man. I, my mind never went to to that place, and when you said it, it's, it's like obvious. It like, feels obvious. I didn't want to make any assumptions about who she would cares be, like, about being assu- or anything. Yeah. but I was like. <clears throat> Someone worked at the crisis. It's like, would she is she likely to have a white lover? She made she had these salons where she like didn't really invite that right. many white people. So I was just kind of I was going down that road. In the Harlem Renaissance, you know, you know more about it than I do. I think. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I, I know just just the basics when it comes to the Harlem Renaissance, but it's coming. The Harlem Renaissance took place in a period of time, the 20s, right? Mm-hmm. That was the kind of the height of it. Yeah. And that was a period in time where there was a great deal of self-expression in America. Mm-hmm. Women were liberating themselves in a way they hadn't prior. Cutting their hair. Where, showing oh, their ankles. Yeah. Raising the hemlines. You know, yeah. they were... 
Yeah, yeah, more than Eric. Yeah, jazz was a big deal. People were drinking. Yeah. And it was this idea of freedom because there was so much prosperity going on. Yeah. So this idea of universal um, ambivalence and hatred was melting away, at least superficially. Yeah. So maybe what she's saying is, ah, you all are taking interest now because there's this relaxed attitude in America. You're slightly open. Let's take advantage of it. Right. Learn more than what's on the surface. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to do, if you want to get in bed with us, yeah. that's great. Oh my gosh. But it's not just about petting on each other. We're going to have sex. <laughs> you know? We're going to have discussion sex. We are, you know? And, and so yeah. I think that's really awesome. Uh, yes. And she's emphatic about it. I'm so excited about like us arriving at this Man, <laughs> conclusion we were... that I'm like, episode's done. <clears throat> Bye, guys. I, well, look, <laughs> when we were in the midst of this, I didn't have much to say. I was thinking to myself, well, I've not contributed anything, and I'm not sorry about it. I was like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, honey, that's fine, because I can talk at length about white people and touching black oh, people's yeah. hair. So we're fine. <laughs> Before, you know, and I want to I wanna take advantage of this topic to pick your brain. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about experiences I've never had and I'm never going to have. Yeah. So I want to know what it's like for you. I want to talk. I want you to talk a little bit about your relationship with your hair and the experiences you've had with people touching it. Let's just let's do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up one. I know what you're gonna bring story up because you are here. But I mean, I it's like a story that's very common with every black woman who has gone natural. Because like most, I don't want to say like most, but like many black women at least in America, I got a perm when I was 13 and I permed my hair and then I went to high school and I was like, I'm tired of perms just because I'm just tired of them. I don't need them. So I started going natural. I started growing my hair out and this was before like the natural hair movement was super big. Mm-hmm. And that's, I went natural and I took care of my hair and I felt more connected to myself and to my community and the movement got bigger and it was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. But the story that I want to talk about <laughs> involves you. Okay. And it's so funny because, like, I remember, you can probably just tell me, like, n- name one of my friends, and I can tell you the first time that they ever touched my hair. Okay. And with you, there were two times. We had we had just met. We had been friends for probably, like, three months. And we were going to an exercise class at LSU's gym. Mm-hmm. And we were waiting outside, and I had a piece of hair that was, like, like sticking out of the side of my head (laughs) and and you went oh honey and you took my hair and you like tucked it behind my ear and I remember like midway you you like kind of stopped and you were like it's so soft Mm -hmm. and you were like amazed Mm -hmm. and of course instantly I was like in my in my mind I was like yeah duh it's soft like f you for not knowing but then I like paused and I was just like Oh, like this person has never had contact with black hair. And I wasn't offended that you had touched my hair without asking, even though like initially I was like, wait, why is this person touching me or anything like that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a weird moment for me. It was a mix of being like, don't touch my hair. Don't exoticize me. And I was like trying to decide if you had done that just to see what my hair felt like, or if you were just trying to be a friend, you know? And I think that's, part of being kind of on guard having to be like a black girl in America being like is this person or a black person in America like is this person interested in me or did they just jump at this opportunity to know about something black so that later mm-hmm. in their life they can be like I touched a black girl's hair before and it was soft and you didn't know that and you're stupid and white you know what I mean what were the feelings if we're going you know what were the real emotions if we're gonna like talk about if you strip it down I wanna know yeah I mean I guess like confusion <clears throat> 
but also just like I was just like questioning your motivation. Was there anger involved? A little bit of anger. Was there sorrow involved? No sorrow. Okay. I was just instantly like either we're gonna fight or we're closer friends now, and I had okay. to reconcile that internally because you know you can't really express that. How long did it take? Friends. To I mean, not long. I was still smiling in front of your face the whole time. I don't even remember this incident. Yeah, yeah exactly. So there wasn't a uh, heated no, argument. No, not at all. And I had to think about it. But I mean, fast forward two years, I'm sitting on the floor of your apartment. I've drank a bottle of wine and you were literally just playing in my hair. I remember that. Yeah. I, un- I took the hairpins out because yeah. you always had your hair up. Yeah, it was always pinned mm-hmm. up. And, and yeah, and I was fine with it. And I knew in that moment, I knew that it was like... Uh, an exchange. It was me, you, and our friend Gabby, and yes. we would we would sit in the apartment. And she would braid your hair. We all three have curly hair of different like textures. textures. Yeah, Trapper does have has have curly hair, exceptionally curly for a white person, and it's long. Yeah, exactly. I have kinky curly hair, and then Gabby is a Latina woman who has like moderately curly hair. Yes, and I would caress her hair, and she would braid Trapper's um, hair, and mm-hmm. Trapper like took the pins out of my hair. Yeah. It wasn't. I knew that we were all learning something about one another's ethnic <laughs> hair and identity yeah. or whatever, but it was an equal exchange. Yes. And and I feel like I was okay with it in that context. Does that make sense? I do. Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. So what was it that initial time I touched your hair that made you say, and I'm, I'm making, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you thought, okay, this was not an act of just straight curiosity or malice or, yeah. or what made you come well, to that the, conclusion? The fact that you had already taken an interest in me as a person okay. and that I didn't feel like you were just waiting for the opportunity to jump mm-hmm. at me. And I've, I'd seen you with black friends, like other black friends. Yeah. And I don't know, you just seemed, you seemed like a genuine person. And also there was hair sticking out of the side of my head. And I was glad that someone said, let me fix this for this poor girl who doesn't know that her right. hair is crazy right now. And it's, it's interesting that this sticks out in your mind you have I no have no recollection of it it's like, that's like the story of being black in America that's you right. walk into a store and someone starts following you and you're just like is it because I'm black uh-huh. is it because I am wearing a hoodie like mm-hmm. why Why? and it's that constant question right and that's that's what it is that's got I mean as a white person I like hearing this because it's something that has never crossed my mind mm-hmm yeah. I have all I had all these ideas in my mind of why black women didn't want their hair touched. Uh-huh. And we I mean, as long as we've known each other, we've not talked a heck of a lot about personal relationship with hair. Uh-huh. I remember being in my apartment in college and you saying, I started growing my hair out natural, I had to cut it super short. Now it was like a difficult, shameful experience of getting to a place of love. Yeah. I remember those conversations. And I went out and bought twenty pairs of earrings right. and yeah. I remember that kind of stuff. And yeah. But that could be that could be something that a white woman would say. But I cut all my hair off. Right. I feel a little bit masculine. Let me get some earrings. That's exa- you know? I was approached. I always thought of that as like a, a woman, a conversation, learning yeah. something about women rather than. When I, I'm sorry, I need to, a feminine white woman who doesn't want to appear masculine right. would say that. That's some, exactly. some people cut their hair short. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, anyway. Yeah, true. Yeah. So you know, I like hearing the honesty in your voice. When something to me that seems very simple, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm very tactile mm-hmm. anyway. And so touching a friend's hair and putting it behind their ear, for you, me, I mean, are. look, that's a crossing of a boundary. And for me, it's, 
you know, that's not a good, it's not a good thing that I don't think twice about doing something well, like for that. For you, it solidifies a friendship. It it's does. like, we are closer now mm-hmm. because I feel comfortable touching you. Right. And if you were a black person, maybe I would have been like, oh, thank you. Thanks. Right. Yeah. But since you were white, yeah. I was like, is this an experiment? Are you like trying mm-hmm. to figure out like what being black is like? Or is and that is what I'm so fascinated with. Yeah. I'm so glad you were honest about because something that for me meant virtually nothing mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah had so much meaning for you. Exactly. And not just meaning, but it was a, an, a, a deep analysis that had to take place in a split second in your mind. Without it, with being clear and fine on the surface and not overreacting. Think- Keeping calm so people respect you. Mm-hmm. Having this elevated, like in Fawcett's work, having this elevated, wonderful, um, light, airy language, mm-hmm. but still getting across that message that yeah. you want to convey. Wow. That's that's black in America. How how interesting. Yeah. I uh, you know, it's it's more than interesting for me, it's it's enlightening. Mm-hmm. And I hope for other people it will be too. Uh, because this is it's easy to make assumptions mm-hmm. maybe because I'm, I think as a human being it's easy to make assumptions that everybody experiences the world in the way that you do. Mm-hmm. And so when and I am always amazed like a child in a childlike capacity uh-huh. whenever somebody says something that really blows my socks off uh-huh. and you know as many deep conversations as we've had what you just said was was news to me <laughs> yeah and that's crazy we've been friends yeah. for like damn near 10 years mm-hmm. and, and we haven't had this conversation and we've had lots of conversations about race and gender and sexuality and, mm-hmm. and everything yeah but this is something new and i i love that you have given me the opportunity to go beyond myself mm-hmm it is important for me to hear stuff like this. Oh yeah, definitely. In the same way we talk about a lot in our writings. We talked about it in the Dunbar Nelson episode. Uh-huh. Where as writers we create words and phrases and pages of literature through the lens from which we view the world. Mm-hmm. So we kept saying all her work seems Creole even when it's not about Creoles. Yeah. And we said, that's why it's so important to broaden your horizons, to read as much stuff as you can, to interact with as many different people as you can. Mm -hmm. Because all that does is enriching your own perspective. Exactly. And this is an enriching moment. Yeah. If you want to understand humans on the broadest level possible, you need to include everyone. Like, you need to include every experience. And beyond the surface. And beyond the surface. Because it's one thing to say... Ah, I understand black women don't want their hair touched. Yeah. And to think like, maybe it's because they don't want it messed up. Or maybe it's because it's really something they really attach to their identity. Mm-hmm. But when you say because they're, because there's something attached to motivation, to the motivation of touching that woman's hair, that is big. And that's yeah. news to me. Yeah, exactly. So I appreciate this very frank conversation. And I hope that we can be like more open. Because I think this not only benefits us, but everyone who's listening. Yeah. 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 So this was a great episode. I know, and it started out really I know, I was like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I was thinking, we're going to have to cut this off and she's going to have to find another poem. No, this is a perfect perfect episode for Black History Month, just in general. (laughs) I love Mm -hmm. it, so... 
yeah thanks everyone for listening yeah and thanks for bearing with me while I had an <laughs> aha moment we both were just like <laughs> staring silently yeah. wide eyed at each other like we just cracked the cold I know <laughs> and I'm so glad you brought up the story about me touching your hair because you told me for the first time maybe even like a couple of months ago you said do you remember the first time you touched my hair yeah and I was like I don't remember and anything. I can't believe that I kept that story in, in my head no. for so long but no it's not just any any friend I have Unless they're black. I can remember the first time they touched yes. my hair. Because I remember the entire process of deciding whether they were malicious or not. Or for my high school friend allowing her to take a, a flat iron to my hair and, and feeling some kind of guilt about it. Okay. That was that was weird. She was also white. So wow. <laughs> that's a story for another day because this episode is very long at this point. Ah. Yes. And I was worried it wouldn't be long enough. I know. Ha ha. Shows us. <laughs> So this has been the sixth episode of the Writer Who Reads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Austin. I'm Trapper Kinchin. And thanks for joining us as we try to read a little more, write a little better, and and explore explore the human condition condition together. together.